Well, open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis. We're going to be continuing the series that we began and will be ending today, the series Understanding Our Authority. And boy, this has gone a completely different direction than I thought it would go when the Lord kind of uh, gave me the idea for this whole series. <clears throat> I thought I was going to be talking about several other things. You know, this is a big subject, by the way. We may have to circle back around at some point and address other elements of walking in our authority in Christ at some other time. But the Lord gave me the teachings that he gave me throughout this series, kind of unbeknownst to me when he first gave me this, this uh, whole idea of going in this direction. So he's been certainly leading throughout this time together. And I'm very thankful for that, aren't you? Praise God. So let's go ahead and uh, turn to that master text in Genesis 15, and we're going to read the first six verses. And when you find that, please stand up with me and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. Chapter 15, verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Praise God. Well, the thing that I want you to see out of that passage this morning is what God did to stimulate Abram's imagination. That's what we're talking about today, the power of imagination. And I want you to notice in that master text that God did exactly that. He stimulated Abram's imagination. And he told them that he would be the father of a multitude beyond the ability to even count. But then God wanted to give Abram a visual so that he could inspire his imagination. And that's why he led him out outside to gaze up at the night sky to gaze upon the innumerable number of stars. And God basically, by doing that, said, look at that, Abram, that's what it's going to be like. You won't even be able to count all of your offspring. And that picture, that stimulation of Abram's imagination is what his faith was hooked to. I want to say that again because that's kind of a key concept for uh, the foundation of our teaching today. That stimulation of his imagination, that picture in his mind, was what Abram's faith was then hooked to. So here's a key phrase right here, a key concept for today. You have to see it before you can achieve it. You have to see it before you can achieve it. Now, you all heard the word visionary before, right? You kind of have a working knowledge probably of what a visionary is. But let me give you the dictionary definition of visionary. So as a noun... It refers to a person with original ideas about what the future will or could be like. And as an adjective, it's thinking about or planning the future with imagination 
and wisdom. That's what a visionary is. So I, I believe that God wants all of us to become visionaries to a certain degree and be able to see out into the future and plan for the future. So in swinging back around then to how we started out this series in the book of Genesis, the early parts of the book of Genesis, it's very clear that God made mankind to be the masters of our world. And while sin has hindered that process in a variety of ways and and corrupted it to a certain degree as well, nevertheless, in spite of that, man is still mastering this planet in a variety of ways. You know, yeah, we've done great damage in our misguided sin and selfishness, but look at what we've achieved in spite of all that. We've mastered the air and the the land and the sea. We put uh, men on the moon and we've constructed great cities and achieved medical marvels and technological advances that our forefathers could never even have imagined. And all this came about as the godlike quality of imagining something and then working to bring that something into reality. Remember, Genesis 1.26 said, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. And then God proceeded to create man. So he had mankind in his mind as an image first and then he created And that God-like quality, since we're made in His image, that God-like quality is in our DNA as well. That God-like quality is in our DNA as well. And it can be applied to every situation in life as I intend to show you this morning. So, here's another key thought for you. God has given you power and authority to advance His kingdom in the earth by placing His purposes in your heart and then trusting you to bring those things to pass. But we have to know God's way of doing things. God's way of doing things. All right. How many of you know, I know some of you younger ones may not know the name Helen Keller. Do you know the name Helen Keller, all of you? Anybody not know who Helen Keller is? Okay, great. Well, as you probably know then, Helen Keller was struck with a a very high fever, scarlet fever, I think it was, and it took her vision and her hearing, so she was, she was deaf and blind. One of the things that she says that pertains to this teaching this morning is so profound, and she says, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. The only thing worse than having no sight is being blind, but having no vision. And that is exactly right. Now, on that note, This whole idea of imagination and vision can work for you or against you. And I like that statue there. Um, It's very, very descriptive of the fact that the heaviest burdens that we carry are the thoughts in our head. And I think that that statue of that, that man pulling behind him his enormous head in proportion to the size of his body is, is a very good representation of that. The heaviest burdens that we carry are the thoughts in our heads. So um, here, oh, actually, you know, let me go ahead and read a passage for you that relates to this, and then I want to give you some thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not 
of the flesh, or not carnal, depending on what version that you read, but mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So here the imagination is used in a negative sense. See, you can use your imagination for good or you can use it for evil. You can use it productively or you can use it counterproductively. It's basically your choice. Now what it's talking about here, by the way, in this context in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, what it's talking about there is that the doctrines of men that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And the Apostle Paul was basically saying to the Corinthians, hey, when I come to see you in person, I'm going to address these false doctrines and correct your incorrect arguments and imaginations. That's what he was saying. So this passage, what it's getting at is that uh, people's imaginations can lead to all kinds of wrong thinking and wrong doctrines. And there's actually many examples in Scripture of people that have used their imaginations in a negative way, but let me give you just one more. Look at the screen. This is Genesis 6-5, right before God pronounced judgment on the earth with a flood. And the passage says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we can use the imagination productively or counterproductively, for good or for evil. But you know, the great thing about God's Word is that we can use it to cast down those imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God in your life. That's one of the great things about the Word of God. See, in other words, if you find yourself entertaining thoughts of hopelessness, as an example, you can just shake yourself and say, no, I cast down those imaginations because the Word of God says that He wants to give me hope and a future and that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Yeah, praise God. Sometimes you have to shake yourself and discipline yourself in what you're thinking and imagining. See, you have the authority, folks. We've been talking about authority through this whole series. You have the authority now in Christ over your thoughts and feelings. Now, you've really got to lean in on in this because I really want you to get this. You have a choice what you feel and think. It's your choice. And that's great news, folks, because if you allow yourself to be led and dominated by your feelings all the time, you're going to get slapped around by life. You will. You'll be on the mountaintop one day and in the valley the next. And you won't be able to figure out why you can't seem to bear much fruit in your life or why you can't come to a place of lasting peace. Well, it's because... You were never meant to live by your emotions. You were designed by God to live by faith. That statement right there is worth the price of admission today. I'm going to say that again. You were never meant 
to be led and dominated by your emotions. You were designed by God to live by faith. Not that emotions aren't good in some ways because God created emotions, but you're not supposed to be led by them. You see, if you allow yourself to be led by your emotions, your emotion will lead you away from anything that it perceives as uncomfortable in the slightest, and you'll miss many wonderful opportunities to be greatly used of God. And you'll look at some situations that may look appealing on the front end, but they have a hook in the bait and will lead you down a road of destruction on the back end. But faith puts trust in what God says. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Um, there may be some situations where, you know, fudging the numbers or being dishonest in some ways may look like the more appealing thing to do. Cheating in a business deal, that may look like the, the, the better thing to do in that situation. It may not look like it's, it would be a good thing to do anything else. But if you trust God and do the right thing, that's an act of faith right there. And you know that God will bless that. That's what I'm talking about. Faith, faith puts trust in what God says. Faith puts trust in what God says. And faith sees the possibilities in every difficulty. Faith sees the possibilities in every difficulty. See, get your mind around this thought right here. Comfort and growth are incompatible. Comfort and growth are incompatible. See, like an athlete training for competition, if you want to grow spiritually or in any other area of your life for that matter, sometimes you're going to have to say no to some things that your body is saying yes to. And the opposite is also true. Sometimes you're going to have to say yes to other things that your emotions are saying no to. Okay, so here's another example. If you want to grow in your marriage, you want to grow in your relationship with the Lord, you want to grow as a person, sometimes when your emotions rise up in the heat of the moment and you want to spew venomous junk all over somebody that only brings destruction, the Bible says that, then a wise person who has faith in God will say, you know what, I'm going to do things God's way this time and just zip my lip and let this thing just fizzle out instead of me adding fuel to the fire. Okay? See, that's faith in God. That's faith in what his word says. And there's a blessing in that. Now, <clears throat> I've learned this important principle right here in my 30 years of walking with the Lord that our Heavenly Father, <laughs> you got to get this, and it's out of love, so I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by this right here, that it's out of love. Our Heavenly Father is more concerned with your growth than He is your comfort. Our Heavenly Father is more concerned with your growth than He is your comfort. Now, is He against you having some niceties and enjoying life? No. But he's not going to let you stay in the nest all your life. Okay? He's more interested in your growth than he is your comfort. Again, growth and comfort are incompatible. 
If you want to grow, you're going to have to get used to the fact that growth is uncomfortable at times. All right? You know, one of the things that I've learned about athletics over the years is that it's impossible to get a muscle to grow without stressing it. It's impossible to get a muscle to grow without stressing it. You have to make a muscle uncomfortable if you want it to develop. And that taught me a very important life lesson as well. You know, you can't uh, grow as a person unless you're willing to walk with God through some faith-stretching discomforts just as much as you're willing to walk with Him through the pleasant gardens. I feel like I need to say that again. Okay? If you want to grow as a person, as a man of God, a woman of God, if you want to grow in any respect of your life for that matter, but especially when it comes to spiritual things, you have to be willing to walk with God through some faith-stretching discomforts just as much as you're willing to walk with Him through the pleasant gardens of your life as well. See, God will allow you to have some wonderful mountaintop experiences, but listen, don't get comfortable there because the mountaintop is not where we grow, ladies and gentlemen. It's where we get refreshed. God allows you to have those mountaintop experiences to refresh you. So don't get comfortable there because as soon as you do, He's going to cause you to be in a situation that stretches you yet again. The analogy that I like to use is, let's say you're teaching a little toddler how to walk, and at first you're going to take them by the hands and just help them to walk. You walk backwards while you're holding their hands, and they take their little baby steps, right? But eventually, as they learn to stand on their own, now you let go, and you take a couple of steps backwards, and you say, walk to daddy. And they take a couple of wobbly steps and fall into your arms. Well, they're growing now. Okay, that's what God does with you. He, he, he's going to, a lot of times, place you in a situation that forces you to have to exercise what you learned from your Bible study. See, the kingdom of God isn't just reading your Bible, it's then practicing it. Okay? Okay, like I said last week, you can learn a lot about basketball just by reading about basketball, but you can't actually master it until you actually go out there and begin to practice what you're learning and you're reading. So the same is true with spiritual principles, folks. So once again, the mountaintop is where you get refreshed, but we can't live on the mountaintop because, once again, just the throes of life are going to give us opportunities to be challenged and tested. Okay, praise God. See, it's like a mother bird with her chicks. God will often kick you out of a comfortable nest so that you can learn to fly and soar on the heights. But being kicked out of the nest is scary. It's scary, isn't it? But that's the only way we learn how to fly. So we need to rewire our brains, folks, to think like eagles who have their sights set on the clouds rather than like chickens who are content to peck around with their friends in the manure. We need to learn to think like kingdom people instead of carnal people. And on that note, I found 
uh, this little meme on Facebook. I don't know how they come up with these names, meme. I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Um, these little sayings on Facebook, I, 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 I like this. So did you know, it says, your brain will constantly rewire itself to suit the information that you feed into it. If you constantly complain, gossip, find excuses, etc., it will make it much easier to find things to be upset about regardless of what's happening around you. Likewise, if you constantly search for opportunities, abundance, love, and things to be grateful for, it will make it much easier to find a reflection of those things around you. It takes practice, but over time, this is a very powerful way to reshape your reality. That is really, really, really true. Praise God. See, if you're constantly battling thoughts of anxiety and unrest, you can dispel that by declaring the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is guarding my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I am blessed and I have much to be thankful for. Praise God. If you're an American, you are blessed and you have much to be thankful for, regardless of what torpedoes you may have endured in your life. You still have much to be thankful for. So if that's your mindset, that can give you a much better outlook. And that leads us to another important principle right here. Going back to Abram, once again, since we opened up the, the, uh, the teaching today with a passage about Abram, we're going to go back to him now. We won't read this passage on the screen in Genesis 17, verses 1 through 6. But this is where God changes Abram's name to Abraham. So the principle here is change your words change your destiny. And I'm so glad that Julie gave uh, her little testimony today uh, and gave us a preface about what uh, the ladies are talking about in their small group of Charles Capp's book, Faith and Confession, right along with a message, Julie. So praise God. So change your words, change your destiny. So the concept here is this, God's word spoken in faith helps to change our own mindsets about ourselves and our situations. Now, by the way, I'm going to talk about the power of words just here really briefly. For those of you that have been around for a while, you know I have an entire deep dive teaching into the subject that I've, I've taught that same teaching about six times now. And at some point, I'll come back around to that and teach that full thing again. But I'm just going to scratch the surface of this today. So God's word spoken in faith helps to change our own mindsets about ourselves and our situations. See, God had to change Abram's mindset about himself because by this time, Genesis 17, many years had gone by after God made that promise that we read in the master text. Many years had gone by and nothing seemed to be happening. So God needed to change Abram's mindset about himself, so he changed his name. And this was an added element, you see, to Abram's imagination. Earlier, when we read our master text, God showed him the stars in the sky as a way to stimulate his imagination and build his faith. Because he needed that visual to, to help build his faith. But now, God is going a step further beyond that by changing Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations or father of a multitude. And folks, this was intentional. This wasn't something that God just thought would be cool to do, uh, fun to do, 
This was very intentional on God's part. There was a clear purpose for doing this, and it was to help speed along the fulfillment of the promise by changing Abraham's thoughts and perceptions about himself. And therein kind of lies an aha moment for me. It appears that although God made a promise, Abraham still had a part to play in the fulfillment of that promise. Abraham had to believe God, number one, but then he had to keep that vision of himself stimulated. A lot of times we, we get a vision for our lives and then we kind of set it aside and then it kind of dissipates over time. But God was wanting Abram to have that vision of himself re-stimulated, reinvigorated, so he changed his name. So, again, Abram had a part to play, though, in bringing that to pass. Abram had to believe God, but then he had to keep that vision of himself stimulated. In other words, he had to keep his faith stirred up by continually seeing himself as a father of a multitude, even to the point of speaking that out continually and hearing it spoken over him continually by the changing of his name. You've heard me say it before, I like to kind of playfully say it this way, from that point forward, whenever Abraham heard his name called because of the meaning of that name, when Sarah called him to supper, it's like, father of many nations, come to supper. He was hearing it constantly. It was being spoken out constantly. And that vision of himself was being reinvigorated every single day when someone called his name. And if somebody, maybe I'm just kind of, I'm kind of like just reading between the lines and speculating here from Scripture, but maybe he saw someone he hadn't seen in a few years, and they called out to him, Abram. No, I'm sorry. You're looking at Abraham. You're looking at the father of many nations. Huh? You don't have kids. Doesn't matter. I'm the father of many nations. Okay? He's walking by faith. Praise God. So on that note then, it's obviously really important what you think about, what you meditate on, and what you speak if you want to progress past where you are right now and see whatever vision that God has given you come to pass. So let's talk about the two sides of meditation here for just a moment. In Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or set foot on the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and who prospers in all he does. Praise God. That's a great promise. Now, there's two ways to apply that word meditate there. The first, I think, is obvious. It's using the power of the imagination. You can think about and deeply ponder a truth. That's kind of our more traditional understanding of the word meditate, to deeply ponder and think about a truth. Um, and in this case, in the reading of the Bible, by the way, you can really use this to your advantage by inserting your imagination into that meditation. For example, if you're reading the Bible, um, you can kind of insert yourself into what you're reading and stimulate your imagination and really get a vivid picture of what was happening. 
So you can imagine, for example, what it must have been like to be one of Jesus' disciples and look on as he healed a leper and watch as that gnarled flesh magically became normal again. Man, wouldn't you like to have been there to see that? Amazing. Yeah, so you can kind of insert yourself there and, and meditate in that way. Or you can actually use this passage that we just read in Psalm 1 and take that scripture and envision yourself deeply contemplating the word of God and gaining a deeper revelation from it. But then there's a second meaning and application to this word meditate. And that old Hebrew word that's translated into meditate is actually the word Hagah, which means, believe it or not, to speak, to moan, to growl, to utter, to muse. Hmm. Very interesting. So then, to meditate means, yes, indeed, to think deeply about, but it also means to speak. To speak. All right. So I want to, on that note then, Talk about acting like our daddy. And when I say daddy, I'm using, I'm referring to the word Abba, Father. When the Bible talks about Abba, Father, that's a term of endearment. It's like saying daddy to our Father God. So don't ever think that he's some ethereal monarch out there somewhere in the nothingness of, of, of space and he's disconnected. He loves us so much. He wants to relate to us as your daddy. And a lot of, a lot of super... High-minded religious people have never even thought of that. And if they have, have thought of it or heard it, they reject it because God is my daddy. He refers to himself as your daddy, by the way. That's the, that, he wants you to have a high degree of respect and honor for him, yes. But he also wants to have a familiarity with us because he loves you as his son and his daughter. And he's Abba, Father. Daddy. So he, he, like our earthly children, wants us to imitate him. He wants us to imitate the things that he does. So Ephesians 5.1 speaks to that. It says we are to be imitators of God. We're to be imitators of God. And in Genesis 1, of course, when it comes to the whole concept of using your words productively and creatively, well, we see an example of that where God created the world with not thoughts, but words. We're to act like him. Romans 4.17b, which Julie referred to earlier as she was introducing that book for the women's group, uh, says this, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Okay, let's connect the two thoughts. Uh, Romans 4.17b and Ephesians 5.1. If we are to be imitators of God, and he wants us to do things like he does them, then how are we to be using our words? To call things that are not as though they were. And I know there's a lot of religious circles that think that that's just, that's hogwash. And they, th they hear that, that terminology thrown around and they say, oh, you're that name it and claim it crowd, that blab it and grab it crowd, you're just trying to act like God. Um, I thought that was the whole idea. Praise God. Come on. This is the word, people. This is the word. This is what the word of God says. 
And by the way, let me say this, that's why we do our tithing declaration every week. And that's why when we have our greeting time, we speak a blessing over one another because we're declaring the goodness of God over our lives according to his word. Okay? Yeah. And I hope that when we do those declarations, by the way, that you're not just doing it as some sort of dead religious observation. I hope you're doing it by faith, by the way, not just as a dead religious ritual or, or ceremony that, you know, I, I'm not against ceremony. I think that there, there can be wonderful um, meaning in ceremony. But if you just do it as a dead religious ritual, it means nothing. Okay? And these declarations that we do every week, if you just do it as a dead religious ritual, it has no power and it means nothing. You've got to have some faith behind it. Okay? Let me give you another example of this in Scripture. And there's many. I'm not going to teach my full teaching on this. I'm just, again, scratching the surface on the power of declaration and the power of words today. But 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. If you have true faith in your heart, it ought to be coming out your mouth. Okay, not only in declaring the gospel to people, but also in saying things that agree with God's word over your life, not things that disagree with his word over your life. So let me summarize these principles really quickly here. And then I'm going to give you another principle here after I give this. Um, So in order to, to bring your vision, your personal vision into reality, last week we talked a lot about vision, as you remember. So in order to bring the vision into reality, according to the principles that we covered so far today, we have to imagine it, pray on it after we get that picture, meditate on it, speak it out, and then work toward it. Work toward it. Okay? And that last point there leads me to another principle that I want to talk briefly about here for the next few minutes. Okay? And that's the principle of partnership. You know, sometimes God will align someone else's vision to your heart, and it becomes your vision too. And together you bring it to pass. That's often how God works. So I'm kind of piggybacking a little bit of, uh, off of last week's teaching on vision here uh, to kind of give you some principles about bringing your vision to pass. And partnership is a big part of that. So this is another reason, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, why I believe it's so important to be involved in a body of believers on a regular basis because there's beauty in working together as a team to bring God's purposes to pass. Yeah. For example, Bill and Paula Compton have a vision to take the gospel to the biker crowd in this region and beyond with the Christian Motorcycle Association. And when we learned about that ministry and what they were doing in that ministry, we said, hey, that's a great ministry. We want to support that. And so we support them in that ministry. But you know what? Bill and Paula also partner with us and support us in our ministry. You see how that works? It's synergistic, you see. That's how that works. And that's part of how exercising our authority in the earth works as well. We work together and we get more done. Praise God. You know, some people are great visionaries and have the ability to see off into the future. 
But you know what? Without other people coming alongside them and grabbing a hold of that same vision, it's probably not ever going to come to pass in many cases, or at least not in the grandeur that it otherwise could, because God has set this principle of partnership in motion in his creation so that when people work together, they accomplish more. Okay? They can do great things when they work together. See, God said of the people during the days of the Tower of Babel that all the people were as one. They were in unity. And so nothing that was in their hearts would be impossible to them. By the way, in their cases, they had set their heart on something that was opposed to the will of God. Um, But when we align ourselves to a God-given dream, a God-given vision, and we work together to make that thing come to pass, there's virtually nothing that's impossible to us. Praise God. Yeah, hallelujah. Now, on that note, as I kind of alluded to last week, um, God has given me a dream to reach the people in that circle of Indiana that I showed you last week that stretches from Bloomington to Batesville and and from Scottsburg to Indianapolis. But even beyond that, and now, speaking of God kicking you out of the nest... (laughs) Now he's showing me a vision of reaching people even across the globe with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Here's some thoughts that I've wrestled with. The devil's whispering in my ear a little bit as I've been grappling with all this. Saying, who are you, Andy, to assume that you have anything special to offer? There's all kinds of other ministers out there. What makes you so special? So I'm already hearing that chatter in my ear. But the Lord reminds me that ministers come and ministers go. Ministries rise and ministries fall. And great men and women of God die and go on to be with the Lord. And someone has to step up and take their place. Okay? See, someone has to have enough vision to say, here I am, Lord. Use me. And then those people have to have other people come alongside them and help to bring that dream and that vision to pass. And I believe that we together, no more numerous than we are at the moment, I believe that we together can bring wonderful things to pass for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. Uh, By the way, God likes using little foolish things of the world to confound the wise and do great things through. I mean, after all, he used 12 ruffians called disciples to change the world. Uneducated men to change the world. He used Moses, who by his own admission was not a great orator and described himself as slow of speech or unskilled in speech. He used Moses as one of the greatest patriarchs of our faith. Moses was pretty insecure when it came to his his public speaking abilities. But yet, look what God did through him. Uh, Paul was another one who admitted in his letters, Paul was a great intellect and a great writer, but not necessarily a great orator. By his own admission, Paul admitted that he was unimpressive in person. 
So you can think about some of the things, that some of the insecurities that Paul might have been dealing with as well. But God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So don't ever think we're too small of a church to do anything. Not true. Who's our God after all? Praise God. Hallelujah. Start enlarging your thinking. That's what this is all about. All right, so another couple of thoughts here, and then I'm going to close. I want to refer you to um, Hebrews 6, chapters, uh, verses 18 through 19, that talks about hope anchoring the soul. So let's read this, and then I want to make a point about this. Therefore, it says, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. So, let's talk about hope for just a moment. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time with this. We're going to close here in the next few minutes. But hope is another way of expressing the power of imagination. Because without imagining something better for the future, we can't have hope. Without imagining something better for the future, we can't have hope. In fact, your faith can't even work without hope because Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? Exactly. The evidence of things not seen yet. That's why we have hope because we don't have it in our hands yet. So that's why it requires hope. So faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith and hope work together. So people that have lost hope, ladies and gentlemen, are people who have lost faith. They've lost the ability to imagine and, and believe toward and work toward something better. So, let's talk about you for a minute. What is it that you are holding out hope for? What is it that you're, that you're believing God for? Maybe it's a situation with your children and you're believing for deliverance from slavery to sin and that they would come back into the fold of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you can't bring that to pass if you're always saying things that are counterproductive to what you're believing for, like, well, he's good for nothing, he's a bad egg, he'll never amount to anything. No, 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 listen. Say, my children are taught of the Lord and great will be their peace, according to Isaiah 54, 13. My children are my righteous heritage, and they will be great in the land, according to Psalm 112. That's what you declare over your children. On that note, real quickly here, I want to insert a quick story that I've told before. But I heard about a lady whose son was just, she had a, a son in her 20s. He was just wild as a wood tick. And uh, she was at church one day, and she overheard these ladies talking negatively about her son. And the mother bear rose up in her, and she went and said, no, my son will be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. He walks with the Lord. And guess what happened? This wild young man, this wasn't my mother, by the way. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. <laughs> 
This was another minister of the gospel who had a background similar to mine. But um, she confronted those women and she said, no, my son will walk with the Lord and he'll be a minister of the gospel someday. Watch and see. And lo and behold, that young man got gloriously saved and became a minister of the gospel. It's important what you say, important what you believe. Maybe you're believing for growth in your career and your finances. Uh, you, you, you make it much harder on yourself, by the way, to achieve that if you're saying things like, I can't ever seem to make ends meet. Okay? No, listen. You have to imagine yourself as success first and agree with God's word and declare, I am the head and not the tail. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above only and not beneath. Praise God. I am blessed in the work of my hands. And God is causing all grace to superabound toward me so that in all things, at all times, I am abundantly supplied so that I can be generous on every occasion. That's what you declare over yourself. Praise God. And then believe God for better opportunities and imagine ways to bring that to pass, working toward that end as well with the help of God and the help of other people. Maybe you're believing for a, a health issue in your body. Well, maybe it would be good to start seeing yourself, imagining yourself as healed and doing the things that you want to do rather than seeing yourself as sick. And then declare, according to the word of the Lord, I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Praise God. See, Joel 3.10 says, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the weak say, I am strong. See, it's all in what you believe and speak over yourself. Say only things that agree with God's word, not that disagrees with God's word. And then discipline your thoughts and your imaginations to agree with God's word as well. It's important what you're imagining, because what's in the heart's eventually going to come out your mouth, the Bible says. And according to Hebrews 6 uh, here, um, that imagination or that hope will anchor your soul to things that are hidden to the rest of the world. Things that are hidden behind the curtain of God's inner sanctuary. Hmm. God hides some of these things from the rest of the world and makes it available to his beloved if we're diligent enough to mine it out of his word. Praise God. All right. So here's that list again of principles to bring your own vision to pass and ours. And notice this time, in this version of this slide, this uh, emphasis on partnership. The emphasis on partnership. So use this to bring your own dream and vision to pass, but certainly use it to bring the vision here at Blessed Life Fellowship to pass as it's been articulated. And uh, yeah, we will all work together to bring God's vision to pass here in this church, in this ministry, this community, and also in your lives personally. All right, praise God. Yes. Julie, give her testimony of what she said about Joseph. She has a verse, she inserted her name. Just a few minutes. Okay. Um, Donna had a suggestion. Um, 
Donna had a suggestion. She wanted me to bring Julie back up here and just give a little two-minute testimony, Julie, of the, what you said to bring your sons on birth. Because not everybody knows that story. So, Julie, come on up. I want you to give that testimony really quick about your son. a huge part of it. Thank you. Well, when Mark and I got married uh, 32 years ago, as of March 31st, and anyway, we, we were a little, you know, trying to figure things out along the way, and as we were married, we decided we want to start having children. We lived in downtown Chicago, so we ended up moving here, and we tried to have a baby for eight years, and we, were, we even went to some fertility clinics, and they basically told us that we could not have children unless we did in vitro. And my husband said, I won't do in vitro. And I said, okay, God. <laughs> you know, sometimes we go to him when we need to go to him first. But anyway, so I just started seeking the Lord with all of my heart. And we had been listening to Gloria Copeland. We were going to a mainstream church, but we had been listening to Gloria Copeland and boy, that girl, she can speak faith, right? Amen. Just like our pastor, was that message amazing? Anyway, <clears throat> and so, um, we, uh, so we, we were listening to her. We were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And I just started reaching out to the Lord. And I was home alone one day. And I just started walking around my house. And I was just like, Lord God, you are such a good God. I trust you. I know that your plans for me are good. I see that you've given you know, and I'd listed off all these different people, a baby, and I, that's the desire of my heart, and your word says that you'll give me the desires of my heart. So I started speaking out that, and he gave me the verse, Genesis 30, 22, that says, then God remembered Rachel. He opened her womb, and he gave her a son, and she named him Joseph. And he said, that's your verse. You put your name in there. So I said, then God remembered Julie. He opened her womb, and he gave her a son, and she named him Joseph. And that month, I was pregnant without any intervention other than the Lord. And my son is 23 years old today, so praise Joseph. Joseph Mark. That's right. And he will serve the Lord all the days of his life. Amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.